Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yes, Adam McDougall is your health and fitness economist, and in each episode, he hacks into a topic to make health and fitness simple and easy for you. I'm Alex Adam's producer, and I act as voice for people, voice for us, asking questions to help us apply Adam's hacks to our live. This episode, Adam, is really exciting. This is the first Q&A episode, so we are really bringing our tribe, your fans, their voices into the podcast, and we're going to get through a bunch of questions on this episode. And you can send those questions to Adam directly. Healthhacker at themanshake.com.au is the email. Hit him up at the website, manshake.com.au, or on the Manshake socials. Adam, how are you? Have you enjoyed getting all of these questions in to know what people really want to know the answers to? Oh, it's been amazing, Alex. So thank you so much, everyone out there, and I uh, really appreciate all the comments and all the uh, great questions. We're going to have some great answers coming up for you as well. So we've mentioned this a couple of times in previous episodes, and we are now going to deliver on it. We've had some questions from you. Adam, you and I have questions from ourselves. It's from the documentary on Netflix. It's called Game Changers. Very, very quickly, if you've not seen it, I can just give you a brief overview, which is it is a documentary talking about how a plant-based diet is the way to go and more or less demonizes meat. And it is really well made. It's really interesting. And they interview athletes about how eating plant only is what makes them bigger and stronger. And we're going to go through some claims now that were made in it about what you think, Adam, as a health and fitness economist. So, First of all, what did you think of the film? I mean, it's slick. I enjoyed it. Oh, uh, it's slick, all right. And, you know, you just have to look who's behind the film. Firstly, James Cameron, uh, very, very good uh, Hollywood producer. You know, he he made uh, Avatar, the movie, um, Titanic. This guy's no mug, you know. So uh, he knows how to make a feature film. And uh, he did a fantastic job, Alex, in in my opinion, of making a fake entry. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of uh, scientific proof behind a lot of his claims, but um, that's what Hollywood's about, isn't it? Um, creating smoke and mirrors and fantasy. So, uh, you know, it was a very, very well put together uh, documentary. And, you know, you ask why people do things for. And unfortunately, I'm really disappointed that this movie come out and come out to a lot of applause, you know, had some huge names in it. Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, who starred in a lot of the movies um, produced by James Cameron, a good mate of his, you know, Jackie Chan was a producer. Um, and then when you did a little bit of digging and, and it, it come out after the fact, a few weeks after it was released, that James Cameron actually has invested his whole life's wealth $140 million of it, not bad, into a pea protein manufacturing business. Surprise, surprise. So a little bit disappointed that I found out afterwards that James Cameron is selling a vegan product and, you know, he believes in veganism, not a problem in the world. And, uh, you know, it's um, very, very um, disappointing though that I found out after the movie was made. So it makes sense why the movie was so, I, I would say, very much one-sided. You almost feel like he should come out and say, hey, I've made this film and I believe so much in it that I'm investing to create pea protein and this is why. And then almost that transparency, you'd be going, ah, that makes sense. But the fact it was kind of cloak and dagger is already uh, raises red flags for you and I, Adam. But we are going to get through into some of the science. Um, We've had a lot of questions from myself, from you and from fans as well. Um, Adam, what's one of the ones that you're excited about to get into first to kick off this Game Changers sort of, not debunking, but we're looking into the science to see what really sticks. Yeah, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge in the movie was um, that they did a really good job. And I, I think they, they did a really good job in, in promoting 
people eating more plants. Now, I applaud anybody that makes us eat more plants. Um, people that eat just a plant-only-based diet are called her- herbivores. People that eat meat are the omnivores. They're on the opposite side of the camp. And I've said in a previous podcast, I'm a nutrivore, and I think everybody should be nutrivores. We should eat for nutrition, not um, eat so we say that we're a particular style of eating. So we belong to a group, whether you want to call yourself a vegan or whatever, but they use the term plant-based through most of the movie up until the end, where all of a sudden it went from vegetarian, which is essentially eating um, a diet where you're allowed to eat uh, animal matter from animals, but not actually eat the animals. So you're allowed to eat dairy and you're allowed to eat eggs, but to then the more extreme dietary exclusive approach of being a vegan, which means you don't eat any type of animal products at all. And um, that can create a lot of problems for a lot of people. It won't work for a lot of people. And hats off and congratulations if it works for you. I'm all for people finding the path that works for them. Um, But the reality is a vegan diet is very hard to sustain for most people. And that's who I try to speak for and speak to is the general population. And, um, you know, research will show time and time again that um, it's very hard, Alex, to meet your nutritional uh, needs um, based on a plant based only diet. That's what I think they needed to say at first. When they kept saying plant-based diet, they should have said plant-based or plant only. So I think that's important as well. Um, There's a big difference between just eating plants and not eating any animal matter at all. Actually, Adam, that's such a good point because when we were speaking in our hacking supplements episode, you were talking about how you don't necessarily have to have meat all the time to get protein. If you have milk and eggs, actually that biodiversity the way your body absorbs that actually can absorb the more protein out of that than it can from a steak. But we also then did an episode about veganism. If you're not going to have any protein at all from anything that's made by an animal, you're going to have to have supplements. And they were really going pretty hard against meat. There was a claim they said if you have one hamburger, um, it increases inflammation, decreases blood flow, and it says it outweighs all of the good work you've been doing. So if you have one, you've ruined it. A hamburger has lots of stuff on it, though. It's got bread, it's got sauce, it's it's not just meat. Well, look, I think the problem with nutritional science as a whole is a lot of the studies are flawed. Um, The way these studies are uh, are conducted is they're done usually by questionnaires. A lot of the time, they're observational studies, Alex, what we call observational. So you go and ask somebody at the football who's smoking a packet of cigarettes, drinking a carton of beer, uh, what, what, uh, what did you eat last year? Did you eat red meat? Yes or no? What did you eat four years ago? So they're going back and asking people in a questionnaire style. And then there's what we call health bias with a lot of the people that they select for these studies as well. So you know if you're going to go to, let's say, a, a rugby league match where there are a lot of guys who do drink a lot and smoke and might have poor health choices and have health bias towards not such healthy habits, that you're really going to get the result that you want by picking that group um, for your study. So, you know, Nutritional science is a very dodgy and very outdated um, science in a, in a lot of respects, and that's why it's so good now that you know dietitians and nutritionists are, are keeping up with the latest information that's out there in research, and, and they're really challenging the old findings of a lot of studies. So it's great to see everyone's jumping on board the new wave of information, and that's the problem in our society too, Alex. Is there's so much information out there now, it's so perplexing, so confusing, so conflicting that when you just go and switch on a movie like The Game Changer, where you don't have to think and you can just watch it. It's so compelling. And that's what's so dangerous about it is the fact that, you know, for the first time in the history of mankind, all of a sudden a diet is morally questioning behaviors and their, 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 their values by saying you're a bad person if you eat meat and making people feel bad, which I think is, is terrible in itself. So nobody should be made to feel bad at all for any reason, um, you know, just in particular, if 
they want to eat meat, they should be able to eat meat. So saying that one hamburger, Alex, um, from from a health point of view, is going to undo all the good work of eating a diet that's really good and really high in in, in plants and, and fruits and vegetables is absolutely ridiculous and it has no scientific s- studies or findings behind it whatsoever. So there's a lot, Alex, that can lead to results they show in, in all things, but we've got to really focus on, your, on the food quality, which was never mentioned. You know, so, and and once again, you know, it's it's really important to compare apples with apples. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just crazy some of the studies they showed, like a single hamburger, you know, increasing inflammation by up to 70%, you know, no mention of food quality in that, in that example that they use. So, oh, of course, like if you've got like a hamburger from a, I don't know, a microwaved hamburger, it's going to be very different to the one you make at home with grass fed you know, Angus beef and and organic tomatoes. A hundred percent. There was never, never any mention of that at all. And that's the big thing about eating meat. I don't propose that people should go out there and eat McDonald's hamburger patties every single week or at all. So, you know, there's grass-fed meat, the sustainable um, uh, meat that should be eaten. Um, I'm all for that. And once again, it's up to you what sort of meat that you eat. But, you know, that's one thing, once again, that hopefully this movie has done is put a focus on the quality of meat that people are actually eating. But to, you know, really compare unfairly two really diverse um types of quality of food is not fair to anyone. And once again, misleading looks great for the cameras. Now, of course, when you know you take a, a vial of someone's blood after they've eaten a fatty meal, there's going to be fat in, in in the sample compared to when you you know take a sample of somebody that hasn't eaten a fatty meal. So what would the results be if they would have tipped a whole heap of canola oil or vegetable oil um, into the, the vegetable burrito? I'm sure there would have been just as much fat in that sample as there was in the meat one. Adam, let's jump into a couple of supplements because we got these questions from quite a few people B12, they said, wasn't possible in the documentary, whether you're having meat or not, you just can't get it into your diet. So is that true? The only way to get it is a supplement? No, it's it's not true. And look, there's plenty of obviously ways that you can get B12 um, that, you know, are mainly for animal foods. We've spoken about it in past episodes, but animal foods um, are one of the key ways that we get B12. They were saying that you get it from the soil, um, from the dirt that was on, on the food, um, from memory. Um, and they used the study, I think it was 39% of people um, tested, including the meat eaters, were low in B12. Um, and, you know, the best way to get enough B12, um, whether or not you ate animal foods, was taking a supplement. Um, again, there was no reference cited in this. Um, and it was at complete odds with, you know, recent studies, um, particularly showing, you know, the rates of um, B12 deficiencies between uh, vegans, vegetarians, and omnivores, you know. So in 2003, it was. Um, there was a study um, which showed that um, omnivores had 11% deficiency in B12, whereas vegans had a 92% deficiency in B12. Uh, and that's because they weren't eating foods that are rich in B12, like seafood and meats, so and organ meats in particular. So, you know, that, that's an absolute lie. So, you know, of course you're going to be deficient in a lot of things, which we touched upon in the last episode, if you choose to go on a vegan diet. And you should be made aware of that and not lied to. So, you know, if you are going to go down this path, be very mindful of the fact that, you know, doing a vegan diet is something that is a privilege in our society that you're able to do and able to still somewhat you know, have a sustainable and productive lifestyle. But if you'd done it 50 years ago, you couldn't have survived or thrived, in my opinion, unless you're a genetic outlier, because you would have been deficient in things like B12, iron, zinc, magnesium, um, and certain amino acids and proteins. So be sure when you go on a vegan diet to listen to that episode that we spoke about last about the things that you will be deficient in. 
Adam, this is a question we got the most. And for those who haven't seen it, it's a scene very early on in the film Game Changers, which is about the gladiators and how gladiators, from a study they did from their bones, were eating a predominantly plant-based diet, which is why they were, you know, awesome gladiators. Adam, tell me what you think of when you heard that and the science behind that after you did your research. Oh, this is where the movie was so well done and it was so captivating because they had these fantastic images of, you know, fast, fit, strong people all the time and they kept basically linking these people back to the plant-based diet. Now, look at the gladiators. Research will show from an anthropological point of view and, and you know, it, it's it's quite, you know, heavily researched and, and proven that, um, you know, what were gladiators? Gladiators were prisoners of war um, and they were sent out to die um, and they were sent out into combat for theatre and for entertainment. Now, they're actually deliberately fattened up on a plant-based diet. That's why they were given a plant-based diet, was to fatten them up. Now, the reason they wanted them fat is so they, they could sustain, obviously, wounds when they were stabbed with a sword or or inflicted with um, a blow of um, any type of weapon. And it also looked more graphically appealing to the audience when they were cut open because you got this fat and this visceral bleeding that occurred when they were stabbed. So, um, you know, they, they failed to mention that um, this was the main reason that they were, um, you know, on a plant-based diet because they were slaves trained to die. Um, and why are you going to give them more expensive things that aren't as accessible like fish and like eggs and, and whatnot? So this was the reason why they were actually fed a vegan-style diet. Um, but before they were captured, you know, their diets included meat. It was only once they become prisoners of war um, that uh, they were fattened up on, um, on a, on a vegan-based diet. So if you don't want to get fat, maybe that's the takeaway from this. Don't eat a vegan-based diet. That is so interesting. <laughs> they were slaves. So, you know, just because, um, you know, we did it back in the day doesn't always mean that it, it's, it's the best way of doing something. We have evolved. That's what mobile phones are for and computers and cars and whatnot. So um, just because, you know, somebody back in the day ate dirt doesn't mean we need to be doing it today. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. The next question, Adam, we got, this one I'm sure you get a lot because you've been in the space for a long time, but we actually haven't really spoken about it in such black and white terms. We've done episodes on both. And the question is this. It came from Matthew and he said, Adam, when it comes to losing weight, what's more effective, exercise or the food I'm eating, so my diet and my nutrition? So actually, I love how simple that question is. And I'd love to get your take on it. Mate, what a great question. And it's one I get asked all the time, Alex. What's better, exercise or diet? Well, I'd say they're both bloody important. Um, but when it comes to losing weight, you know, most guys are going to reach for for what's easier. And that's usually going to exercise because exercise, you only have to do it for, you know, 10 minutes, as little as 10 minutes a day, you can get some benefits. So uh, I'll go for an hour jog or go to the gym or hang out with your mates. So it's more fun than having to watch what you put in your gob for 24 hours a day. But the sad reality is, is that you can't out exercise a bad diet. That's, that's the, that's the real key. And in fact, research is now showing Alex, just how ineffective exercise is for the waistline. We know that it's been proven to have positive effects on things like disease, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, um, just to name a few, how important it is for gut health, um, for mental health. But exercise plays a very, very small role in weight loss um, compared to diet. You know, and some really big studies recently, there's been a meta-analysis done with over 40 different studies, Alex, on exercise and weight loss. And it found that exercise alone led to only small weight reductions. So that, that's pretty disappointing. A, a research study in 2003 that I looked at as well, Alex, um, showed from the University of Western Sydney very much the same results that um, 
you know, vigorous exercise didn't have a huge um, impact on people's waistlines. In fact, the participants were split into two different groups and given, you know, either a light or vigorous exercise program, and they were both put on um, an energy-restricted diet. And the study found that the weight loss was pretty much the same for both groups, even if they did hard exercise or did bugger all exercise. So the poor old people doing all that hard extra exercise from a weight loss point of view didn't get any benefit above and beyond significantly uh, statistically compared to the people that didn't really do a lot of exercise. So, you know, if you are thinking about losing weight, you can't out-train a bad diet. So that, that's the key. Um, when you think about like, for example, the Australian average bloke these days is about five foot 10, Alex. He's on average about 88 kilos. He'll burn 500 calories on an exercise bike in an hour. Um, two small middies of beer, essentially. So it's not a lot, you know. So when you look at that, he'd have to exercise seven days a week and he would lose half a kilo of fat. And this is based on the uh, Wyszkowski rule, which essentially is a rule that says that one pound of fat equals about three and a half thousand calories. So to burn one pound of fat, Alex, you'd need to either reduce your weekly calorie intake by three and a half thousand calories a week or 500 calories a day, or burn that off with extra exercise, like riding a bike for an hour every day. Best advice is, you know, first things first is is making sure that, uh, you know, they're not eating too many calories. Weight loss comes down to three simple things as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not, you know, a lot of people want to say that it's, it's, a, it's a, a singular approach. It's, a, you know, the human body works off subsystems, but the human body works as an optimized single system. So it works in concert with each other. So a lot of people will say that, you know, losing weight is just calories in versus calories out, but then they ignore the hormonal effects um, of um, food on us. So for example, things like insulin and um, ghrelin and leptin and cortisol and stress and how that impacts weight gain and weight loss. So we need to consider not just calories in and calories out, but the quality of them calories and the impact that then has on our hormones. We also need to look at our environment. So, you know, things like stress, the times that we eat, sleep, uh, what sort of impact that has on our on our waistlines as well. And then we've got to also look at our microbiome and, and, our, and our gut health, which also has a huge impact on how we utilize the nutrients out of food and how they're petitioned throughout throughout. Um, our uh, eating uh, phases. So, for example, when you eat um, certain foods, you know, they're going to be stored in a different way based on your gut bacteria. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into losing weight, but as far as diet goes, you really need to keep it simple. Um, research has shown time and time again, a huge meta-analysis study, which is basically the combination of a lot of research studies put together, has found that there is really no superior type of diet. So, a low-carb diet, you'll see more rapid weight loss, but then over a prolonged period of time, you see people that are on a higher carbohydrate solid diet end up catching up with the weight loss. So the reality is, is it's what diet is most sustainable for your lifestyle. I think that's the key, Alex, is picking a diet that's going to work for you and one that you like. So for example, if you're somebody that likes to hack their health, you've got to work out if you need some carbohydrates in your diet, because there's no point if you do going on a ketogenic style of diet. If you're somebody that doesn't really like sweet foods and prefer savory type foods, well, you might do better on a more of a high fat, high protein style of diet. You've really got to find the diet that fits your lifestyle firstly. Now, it comes back really to the most basic premise of losing weight of calories in versus calories out. So portion distortion is the first thing that we've got to get under control, Alex. We've got to realize that, you know, a few table extra tablespoons of olive oil, for example, might add up to an extra couple of hundred uh, calories in a day. And that could be enough to making you stay in a calorie surplus, which means you'll never lose weight. So that's why some of these diets, you know, that eliminate total food groups can be dangerous because you're missing out on certain micronutrients and certain vitamins and minerals. So I'm more for what of a balanced approach. So 
I think our bodies are very intuitive. I think they know what they need and when they need it. So I think the key to any type of great weight loss dietary plan first is pick something that's sustainable. And I know it's a very vague answer, but something that's sustainable for you. Um, We know protein is very important in your diet because it leads to feelings of fullness, helps with muscle repair. We know that muscle increases your body's ability to to obviously um, burn fat. Um, And obviously trying to stay away from foods that are really high in simple carbohydrates because these elicitate what we call an insulin response. And it's very hard for the body to burn fat when you have high levels of insulin circulating through your bloodstream, Alex. So you want to stay away from highly processed carbohydrates, uh, your pastas, your rices, these things that are, you know, can spike your blood sugar levels. So trying to make sure that, you know, you have a plate when you're trying to lose weight that's really predominantly full of vegetables, um, full of fiber um, that's going to keep you full and keep you regular and help with gut health. And then have a, a, a you know, like an open palm size um, serving of protein on that plate and a small bit of fat to also help with hormone production and with cells and and with cognition. So, you know, some avocado, a bit of olive oil. So for me, it's getting that balance right on your plate, Alex, is really the key. And now we're going to move into something which comes up all the time and we're going to the liquids. We had this question from uh, Will B, uh, T, Fiona, Mark. We had a bunch of people email us about it. This is the one that is debated more than red wine and dark chocolate, it's coffee. From an overall health point of view, can you tell me what your thoughts are on coffee, good or bad? Well, look, it's the most beloved drink in the world, isn't it, at the moment? Like you said, it seems every single day there's a new study on coffee's health benefits or conversely the downside. So it really begs the question, is coffee good or bad for us? So I'm glad that someone's asked us that question. Um, You know, coffee really, the the main thing that we are all using it for and probably the wrong reason we're using it for these days is to make ourselves feel more awake, uh, which says probably a lot about the fact we're not getting enough sleep, our diets aren't great. So, you know, go back to some past episodes on how to hack your sleep and maybe you won't need as much coffee. Um, You know, coffee, the reason why that it does, you know, make you feel more awake is it, it blocks the receptors in your brain for adenosine, uh, which is a chemical produced by neurons. And, um, you know, when adenosine levels are high, the body's metabolism slows down, which primes you for sleep, essentially, uh, Alex. So adenosine's out of the way, Um, you know, once the neurotransmitter dopamine is stimulated, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're flying, you're awake. So it can be very addictive as well as a result of this, Alex. So, you know, the main thing that, um, you know, coffee also has the problem for a lot of people from a health benefit point of view is we become very intolerant to the stimulatory effects from it. So we end up drinking more and more and more. And research has shown, you know, the sweet spot for people that enjoy coffee is no more than between three to four cups of coffee a day. And it's very important to also know that there's different strengths of coffee as well. Like coffee's not coffee. So an instant coffee compared to one you go and get off the barista is a lot different in strength, you know? So they're looking, Alex, between three to 400 milligrams of ca- caffeine a day. Let's be careful. There's a lot of coffee in these energy drinks. Pre-workout drinks, Alex, that, that's another another minefield in itself. But some of these have got, you know, up to 800 milligrams of caffeine in them. So, you know, they're really not good for you at all. But the research to me seems to support the benefits of coffee. You know, you look at, you know, reductions in certain cancers, liver cancers, I remember from a, a particular study was seen to reduce with uh, coffee consumption of three cups a day by 40%, reduction in uh, type 2 diabetes uh, by 25% uh, by drinking three to four cups of coffee a day, Alex. Helps with Parkinson's disease, inflammation, you know, you call it um, and and coffee seems to be able to to sort of fix it. But um, there's something that we all need to do and that's what health hacking is all about is go out and get a genetic test and see if you have 
a genetic predisposition to being a slow coffee metabolizer or a fast coffee metabolizer. So essentially, there's a gene that tells us whether or not you metabolize coffee quickly or slowly. Coffee has what we call a 12-hour half-life, which means when you drink that cup of coffee 12 hours later, there's still half of that coffee in your system, Alex. So for example, you go get enough nice double shot espresso um, late in the afternoon, say at three o'clock. Well, at, at three o'clock in the morning when you're lying in bed and you're wondering why you can't get to sleep, it's because you probably got out of that 200 milligrams of coffee that was in that double shot espresso. You still got 100 milligrams of that in your system. So Adam, that makes so much sense for people who have those genes that you see them having a coffee after a meal and they go straight to sleep at night. But people like me, if I had a coffee at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, I'm awake at 2 a.m. Well, yeah, and it, it explains a lot. And, you know, it, I always say to people, it's not so much the coffee that's the problem when it particularly comes to weight and comes to health. It's what you have in the coffee. Most people are addicted also to the cream and sugar that they put in their coffee um, or these fancy syrups. That's that's the big one. But how many of us just have a coffee when we have coffee, whether it's black or or whether it's, you know, just with a small dash of milk? You know, most people out there, it's, it's, it's been proven, have it with excess calories as well, which is a big part of the problem. So, you know, now that we know how to hack the the coffee, it's really important to understand the half-life of coffee to work out for yourself. Go get a test done to see if you're a fast or slow coffee metabolizer and also be aware of where you're getting caffeine and hidden sources, whether it's dark chocolate, whether it's soft drinks, whether it's energy drinks, kombuchas. You know, there's a lot of, you know, drinks out there now that's got that have hidden amounts of caffeine in them. Also, you know, whether or not you're taking a, a pre-workout drink that you probably didn't even know had a, a, a caffeine attached to it as well, a post-workout formulation, some of these amino acid formulations now have them, protein shakes are putting coffee into them. You know, it's bloody everywhere and it's insidious because we know it gives us a big jolt, makes us feel better and is highly addictive. So it's like I always say, Alex, it's boring, but moderation is the key to good health when it comes to anything. Adam, I think this is the first of many Q&A episodes we're going to do. We loved having them. Um, check out Adam's socials for the man shake. Uh, his video is on there that you can comment below on that asks for these questions. Also email him healthhacker at themanshake.com.au. We go through all of them and pick out the ones to answer on the show. Adam will send out you a man shake pack or a lady shake pack as well. Adam, thank you so much for answering these questions. I can't wait to talk to you on the next episode of The Health Hacker. Thanks, Alex. Looking forward to it, mate. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.